Luchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem Perach Nuchim B'Shem Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night year This week Baruch Hashem Merit to bring you this year from Geneva, Switzerland Little difference in the time zone it's 9 o'clock on the East Coast in New York. The Shabbos Pasha Bahar in Chutzlaritz, of course. And Pasha Bechu Kaysay in Eretz Yisrael. It's Shabbos Chazak in Eretz Yisrael. Pasha Bahar itself is a separate Pasha, is a very, very rich Pasha. Many, many mitzvahs, and the famous, famous quote of Pashas Bahar, the first Rashi, which is Ma'in Yishmita, Eitzel Hasinai. What does Shmita have to do with Hasinai? But most importantly, this week is the date. I'd like to make a correction on an error that I presented last week. I spoke and said that there was no real special date and I personally to- totally overlooked Pesach Sheni of the Shadok and Fafalm. That's the motto of Pesach Sheni is that there's no lost cause and therefore we don't lose anything by repeating it today that it was Pesach Sheni this past Sunday. And we have talked about Pesach Sheni in the past as well. But more importantly, tonight is the date that we need to discuss, which is the date of Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the Omer. The Hilula, the Yomtev of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Manhaitana, the Tana, the Sage, that's so, so much in Torah so, so much now, learning and our studying is based on the depth of the study of Torah of Manhaitana of the Tana, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is interred in Miron, in Israel, and hundreds of thousands of people flock to his grave tonight, tomorrow, uh, today, tomorrow. Or that last night, as we speak now already in Israel, it's close to 5 o'clock in the morning probably, 4 o'clock in the morning. Yes, Hashem, we will discuss that as well. I believe we discussed today also Pirkei Avais. I don't know if we're going to discuss Pesach Seder. The quote, Ma'in Yishmita, The parsha begins with the mitzvah of Shemitah, but the parsha begins randomly by saying, Hashem spoke to Moshe, but where was it? It took place in Har Sinai, the conversation. Many conversations took place between Moshe and God. We don't usually have the directions 
No, you usually have the coordinates, the location for GPS purposes as to where this conversation took place. But yet here, the Pasha tells us this took place Bahar Sinai. And of course, Rashi, the champion of the Makamish Namikra, asks the obvious question. Ma'in Shmita what does the word the mitzvah of Shemitah have to do with Hasinai thereby being mentioned directly here that this conversation took place by Hasinai Rashi asks just like Shemitah, which was mentioned totally, totally at Sinai, every single nuance, every single fact mentioned by Sinai, so to every one of our mitzvahs in the Torah, were mentioned exactly in Sinai. Why Shemitah? There are 613 mitzvahs. Why does the Torah go on to pick, choose the mitzvah of Shemitah to be the one to tell us that every single mitzvah is mentioned in Sinai? knowledge of every point every thought of the mitzvah is how a person has to have his mitzvah down pat one needs to know exactly what went on what's going on, what goes down in each mitzvah so that they can do it correctly you don't want to have doubts you want to know exactly what you're doing when you're doing a mitzvah. If you're controlling a machine, you need to know exactly what you're controlling. <coughs> you need to know exactly what starts, what finishes, what turns it on, what turns it off. What could cause detriment, what could cause positive reaction. And so too, when it comes to a mitzvah. One needs to know exactly what they're doing. One needs to know exactly how they're doing it. So we would come about and we begin to think about the 613 commandments. And we would say to ourselves, what mitzvah is at hand. On the left Sinai, what mitzvah was at hand? What is the first thing that came to mind that needed to happen? And therefore, those mitzvahs were the ones discussed at Sinai. 
let's look at a very interesting custom. The holiday celebrating Matan Teira, Shavuos, the custom is to have, to eat dairy. Not throughout the entire holiday, and we'll discuss that again when we get closer to the Yom Tov itself. But dairy is eaten on Shavuos. It's the famous holiday that everybody thinks about and connects with cheesecakes and blintzes and etc., etc. Some of you might be saying yum, thinking yum when you hear this, because, hey, it's some good stuff that family puts together sometimes, or your favorite bakery, etc. However, what is the reason for it? The holiday, all the other holidays are enjoyed with wine, fish, and meat. Where does dairy come into the dimension? One of the many reasons for eating dairy is because the Jews had a little bit of a dilemma once they received the Torah. They found out they had no idea what kashras was, what kosher was, meat and meat and dairy, etc., mixing, slaughtering. So everything was at a standstill. Everything was on hold until we learned the laws properly, like we said before. You need to know every nuance of the law. They needed to freeze everything, but they needed to eat and drink. So the daily menu at the time was dairy. It was the easiest thing, and it was something that you didn't run into much controversy. Taking a cow, putting milk, producing milk, you knew that it was good to go. And therefore, as a commemoration, we have dairy. <laughs> so it's one of the first things that we discussed at Sinai. Something at hand, a mitzvah that comes to the mind, a mitzvah that comes to your hand, which is, of course, kashras, kosher. coming to the realization that this has to be eaten at this time. However, the Torah chooses a totally different mitzvah. How abstract. The mitzvah the Torah chooses is a mitzvah of Shemitah. Now let's understand what Shemitah is all about. Shemitah was a mitzvah after six years of plowing your fields and working the fields, etc. Seventh year, you rested. You, Mr. Farmer, who lived off your supplies, were not allowed to eat, were not allowed to use, plow, reap, anything in your fields. So let's get real and let's understand. When did this mitzvah come into picture? 
Welcome Scranton, Pennsylvania. I guess Scranton gets a mazel tov for uh, one of the residents that is shidduch this week. Good evening. So, if that's the case, that Shemitah is a mitzvah that takes place, that only begins when the Jews settle in Israel. And not only settle in Israel, but needed to be there six years working in order for the seventh year to rest. By Har Sinai, when the Jews were accepting the Torah, the mitzvah furthest something that was not even dreamt about really. Forty years they turned around in the midway from the desert first. And then they first had to conquer. And after the twelve years of conquering, then everyone was settled. At that point in time, it was considered that the Eden started the working in their fields. And then they had to wait six years to work in their fields so the seventh year could be Shemitah. So therefore... Shemitah was the furthest mitzvah from Matan And therefore, says the Tera, even a mitzvah that was not even on the back burner, a mitzvah that was not even something to think about right now, because there were so, 612 other mitzvahs that I need to talk about that I need to be stressed. So we would, one would think that perhaps this mitzvah was a little overlooked. This mitzvah was not totally expressed. This mitzvah was not totally... Hold on, let me fix my sound. I don't know why you can't hear me. Does it sound better now? I guess not. Let me see why, what's wrong with myself. Um. Oh, okay, fine. Thank you. Sorry, earplugs are plugged in the wrong place. This mitzvah of Shemitah, which one would think there's time to explain it to you, there's time to teach it to you. So therefore, this mitzvah would be mentioned as a, in the passing, there's a mitzvah of Shemitah, and we'll let you know when you have to keep it, what has to happen. Says the Tera, no. Even this mitzvah, which was so far down the road, is being mentioned in Sinai with each and every single fact and each and every single point. And this is what Tera is all about. There was no such thing as overlooking, there was no such thing as bypassing, there was no such thing as something that just happens to be in the Torah. But every single mitzvah and was mentioned on Sinai, on Mount Sinai, every single mitzvah was mentioned with every single point and fact. So let us look at what happens by Shemitah. The Jews work for six years on their field. Every year you work on your field. You plant, you sow, and you reap. 
and you have your product and you sell it. What happens if you don't? You don't sow, you don't reap, you don't plant. Then what happens? Well, obviously what's going to happen is you're not going to have product. If you're not going to have product, how are you going to live? You live off this product. The produce that you're producing is how you live. For a year, I'm closing down shop. I'm out of business. How is going one going to exist? The Torah tells us clearly. The earth will give forth fruit and you will eat. Vechi Semru says the Torah, God asks the question for us. If perhaps you would say, What will I eat on the seventh year? I can't plant and I can't gather my tour. Tell you, I answer you, says God Almighty. On the sixth year, I will give my blessings and you will be covered. I got your back, says God. But why the question? Why does God have to present the fact that you Jews, my Jewish nation, my chosen nation that I love, my children, you're going to come with a doubt. You're going to have an issue. But why bring that? It doesn't bring it by the Shemitah laws. It brings it by the laws of Yovel. Shemitah, as we said, was every seven years. After seven sets of Shemitah, 49 years on the 50th year is a mitzvah called Yovel again a slew of laws in its own right slaves need to be returned so fields need to go back to their owners many many different things that go down in Yovel when the Torah mentions the mitzvah of Yovel of the Jubilee at that point, the Torah now asks the question, God says, poses the question, you're going to ask, what should I eat? This question should have been as soon as we taught the laws of Shemitah. Because at that point, the person is going to say, the seventh year, my first seventh year, not my seventh seventh year, by the 7th, 7th year, I've learned already what happened the first 6-7 years. So I know exactly how it's going to go down. So why by Shemitah, by Yevil is it asked, and not to the first Shemitah? But rather this statement, Vichy Semru, as you will say, what will I eat, is not necessarily a question of Shemitah. That there won't be what to eat. Because the Jews do not question the Torah and Mitzvahs.
And therefore, in the midst of this question does not come up by Shemitah. Because they know, Shemitah, the seventh year, you told me not to work, I won't work, and God's going to take care of me. But this question, rather, is a continuation. With Vinasna Aretz Piriya Vachalta Laseva, the land will give fruit and you will eat. You will eat plentiful. That the Haftacha, the guarantee that the Almighty is giving us, that every situation, every scenario, that Hashem will give His blessing and we will lack nothing. This point, the question arises: Will I lack nothing really? Will you be? Will you cover me totally? Manechal. Manechal is not a question. Where will the food come from? The question is: How will this blessing come into fruition? How will this actually happen? When do you tell me that blessing is going to come through? In the 50th year. I'm not planting in the 7th year. On the 49th year, I'm not going to be planting. In the 50th year, where will it come from? Perhaps the blessing will come through the mon. Like the mon fell in in the desert. Therefore, the Torah says, "No, the Almighty's blessing will come through this. That I will command my blessing to come through on the sixth year." Now, the truth of the matter is, this is the question that comes about only after the blessing. We must know its period. It's not a question on Shemitah. But rather on Venus Narad's Piriya, on the years of Shemitah and Yevil. Why is it questionable? Dear farmers, <laughs> since we're all so well versed in the world of produce, we're all so well versed in how we plant, etc. One of the discoveries that actually people get find out like a horse like a cow, an ox like a lahavla human being, a worker people get burnt out animals get burnt out person does the same backbreaking labor day in, day out Eventually, unfortunately, they just can't do it anymore. Either need a change of scenery, a change of pace, a change of whatever it might be, whatever it is that they need. But they sometimes just can't cut it. People have discovered that in the fields, when the field has worked six years, First year, obviously, takes time to grow and to produce. Second year, you're getting the field really used to things and the water properly and everything is done right. It starts to give you nice stuff. The third year, apparently, it's really its peak. 
fourth and fifth year, the sixth year already, it's, it's, it's really, you're pushing it. You're squeezing out every mineral out of that ground. So when we're told the seventh year we have to rest, we leave the land to be left alone, wonderful. On the seventh year, it rests. And science proves, it's proven scientifically, that it does good for the land. It's good for the earth, for the minerals, and for everything to recoup, to be given this year of vacation, sabbatical. That's where it comes from, sabbatical. So wonderful. Seventh year it rests, and the year thereafter, I start again the cycle, and again I start to see my produce. But I, the farmer, am well aware that on the sixth year, there's a little issue. It's not doing it anymore. It's not cutting it. It's lacking. It's not strong any longer. It's losing its total strength and its vitality. And that's why I find the blessing in the seventh year, that it helps rejuvenate. So the question becomes, hey, you want to tell me the third year will be enough for my seventh year? I understand. That's a good year, Protus. But the sixth year, which is barely hardly eking out and yielding what needs to be done, you're going to tell me in that year, I'm not only going to be able to cover myself, I'm going to cover myself for the seventh year and the eighth year as well. Because after all, in the eighth year, I didn't work the whole seventh year. What am I producing? What am I pulling out of the ground for the eighth year to eat? I need to first start planting, first start working, first start, and the seasons need to come through the cycle. So in essence, really, the eighth year is also a little bit of a problem as far as the beginning of the year to eat, because I didn't do anything the whole seventh year. So this sixth year, the weakest of the three, the weakest of the cycle, I'm not only saying that it's going to produce, says the Almighty, I'm telling you it's going to produce enough to cover the other two years as well. This is therefore the blessing, and this is therefore what comes about in the question. The Torah tells us, similarly to Shabbos, where on Shabbos, and we discussed last week, Shabbos it says first, six days a week thou shalt work, on the seventh day you should rest. So we discussed last week that there is a mitzvah of six days a week you should work. Here the Torah tells us, again, six years you should work in the fields, and the seventh day it rests. Seventh year. After six years of toiling, Tizra Kamecha,
In that case, why is this Pasuk brought down before the six years and not after? Pasuk says, excuse me, it says, Vishav Sa'arat Shabbos Hashem, and the rest, the land should rest, and it should be Shabbos the Almighty. And then the Pasuk says, Sheishanim Tizrasadecha, six years it should work in the field. The Cheder should be the opposite, six years work in the field, and seventh year you should rest. The Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, gives an answer to this. Even though the seventh can only come after six, I can't have a seventh if I don't have six before that. So even though the seventh year, yes, is connected and becomes only a seventh year after that six years prior, still and immediately upon arrival in the land, one needs to know stipulation of entering the land is not only the years of work, but the stipulation and the mitzvah and the lifestyle that you're entering into in the once the land, the holy land was conquered, was starting off a Shafsa Arat Shabbos Lashem. During the six years of work and toil, it needs to be recognizable that one knows that I'm working for the Almighty. I'm working only because this is what God told me I need to do. And ultimately, the outcome, ultimately the end result, as we say, would be Vishav Sa'arat Shabbos Lashem. When one knows that, then they work, <coughs> excuse me, they toil for six years in a godly fashion. This too is the lesson, a life lesson, of how one needs to act and behave. Each, every one of us has within them a land. We are a, a land. We are a property of God. And we have six days a week that we work in things that are not necessarily only holy. As one works plowing the ground, etc. A person needs to know that your land your being, your essence, your Metsius is not the frivolous, is not the simple that one is involved with throughout the week. But rather, all the six days that we are working is a preparation for the seventh day. That Yayim Shabbos Kodesh should all be permeated throughout the six days of the week. Throughout your land, <coughs> you, you personal land that you are. And this needs to be recognized, recognizable. And when a person works that way, 
that throughout the six weeks of labor, it's recognizable that Shabbos is what the person strives for. Shabbos is what one lives for. Shabbos is what one exists for. Memele, automatically, the six days of the week are totally different as well. And the fact is that the world was created. And one needs to say that I was only created to serve my master. So a Jew within his own right has no connection to worldly things, to earthly things, to working the ground. But rather, everything that's being done, every piece of work that's being fulfilled, is so that the Jewish nation can fulfill their mitzvah and their Torah for the Jewish, for the Almighty God. For each and every Jew, if you're keeping score at home, the Shabbos, Tractate Shabbos, 67, side 1 tells us that each and every Jew is a prince and we see in a simple fashion that the prince does not go work in the field he doesn't do the planting, he doesn't do the sowing he doesn't do the reaping, he doesn't do anything in the field, doesn't do manual labor but rather he sits in the palace of the king and therefore Shemitah comes along and tells us each and every Jew, rest your land. Serve God. Devote your time and life to God. And this, as we said, even resting is to show that throughout the toil that I did, all the work that I've been doing till now, was on order so I could rest to God, so I could be connected to God. It's not I'm a part of the ground that I'm planting, that I'm sowing, but rather it's all part of the main goal, service of God. And therefore it says, V'shav Sa'aret Shabbos Hashem, before Sheishan and Tizra, to teach us the main thing is serving God not the six years of work, not to proceed with the message, six years working in your field, and the seventh year you should rest, but rather when you are resting, it should be recognizable that throughout the six years of toil, it was all about God. This is interestingly, we find also a connection with Lagbeina. I am Baruch Hashem broadcasting tonight, as we said, from Geneva, Switzerland, as we merit to cut tomorrow the hair of my grandson, David. Marachai David is now three years old, and we await the cutting of his hair until he's three years old. But here, 
since his birthday was after Pesach, and we are celebrating, we are keeping the days of the Sphira, and during the days of the Sphira we do not cut hair, so people wait until Lagba Omer. On Lagba Omer, the mitzvah comes into fruition, and many people have a custom, even Sephardim have a custom, that, or even a lot of Hasidim that have this custom, not Chabad, that Lagba Omer is a turning point in the child's life. If the child is going to turn three the next year, in a few weeks or months after Lagba Omer, they cut the hair in Lagba Omer also. Because to tell us that Lagba Omer is so connected and affiliated with this mitzvah. And this is therefore the six, the three years that the child is being raised all comes into fruition and now starts a new era in the child's life where he puts on a yarmulke and he wears tzitzis and he says is properly and he begins to understand things a little clearer not exactly the way we want them to sometimes but then again how many adults do we tell things that they also don't exactly understand them clearly Lag Bomer though a holiday. Whose holiday is Lag Bomer? Lag Bomer is the holiday of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai, as we said before. Haitman Haitana. When Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai was preparing to leave the world, he told his son Rabbi Lazar and the students that were gathered around him at the time. He said to them, this is an auspicious time. I'm now going to reveal holy secrets that I've never yet disclosed. Why? So I will arrive in Olam Haba without any reason for embarrassment. All his life, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai devoted to godliness, to the service to God. However, that one point, that one connection that he strived for throughout his life, he didn't actually fulfill, although he worked on it throughout his lifetime. He does not actually fulfill until the day of his passing. And therefore, he says, I want to go up without any embarrassment in the world to come. They should see that I've accomplished everything. And he said, today is a distinctive day for Hashem and all the tzaddikim are celebrating, rejoicing in my celebration." He then called in his student, Reb Abba, and told him to write down what he was about to say. He told Reb Loza to repeat it, and the other students just listened. He revealed to them at that point a section of the Zohar known as Idra Zuta. 
at that time, the Kedusha, the holiness of Shimon was so intense that no one there was able to look at his face. And it is said that throughout the day a fire surrounded the house of such intensity that everyone was kept at an awed distance. Reb Abba recalled, I was in the middle of writing what Reb Shimon was telling me, and he was quoting a Pasuk, and he stopped by the word Chaim. I waited. I wanted to continue. I wanted to to fill this through. But I couldn't raise my head to see why he had stopped. Nobody could raise their head because you couldn't look into the face of Rabbi Shimon. It was so radiant. It was so powerful. Suddenly, I heard a voice call out a posuk that included the word Chaim. And another voice called out another posuk. I fell to the ground I wept. When the fire subsided and the light faded away, I saw the great luminary, Manhai Tana, Rabbi Shimon had passed away. He was lying on his right side with a slight smile on his face. Soon afterwards, the residents of a nearby town called Sipori came to take Rajbi to bury him in their village. But the inhabitants of Miran said, No, it's not happening. And they had started taking them. It was outside the house already. Suddenly the bed started to rise up in the air. A fire burned in front of the bed. And a voice rang out. Come and gather for the Hilula of Rabbi Shimon. And the body the bed continued to travel. They entered a cave in which where he was buried now. And another voice was heard from within the cave. This man shakes up the world and all its kingdoms. Many adversaries in Shemayim were silenced because of his chus. Hashem glories in him daily. Fortunate is his portion. The Maila, the Gamlamata. Above and below. This is a voice that rang out from the cave and obviously shook everyone to their core. On that Lagbaima, Rajbi was illuminated by the light of Mashiach. 
and he attained the highest level of his lifetime. And he started to reveal that light to his students. And therefore, like Bhima, each year is a day of revelation of Panemius HaTera, the inner Tera, the inner mystical dimension of the Tera. The going of Yenis and Aipshitz cautioned one should make good use of this holy day and not waste it on foolishness, on folly. Similarly, in the letter to Chassidim before Lag Bemid Al Terebbe writes, Rejoice on the day of the Rajbi's celebration. Because we drink from his wellsprings of Chassidus. Celebrate by singing praise to Hashem from Tehillim and not Chassasholim by light headed frivolity. At the Suda Shabbos, in the home of Rabbi Tzernifke, before Lag Be'ema, Tafresh Nun Vav, 1897, the elder Chosid, Rajbats, described Lag Be'ema's celebration of Tafresh Tess, 1849, which is the last time that Samach Tzedek went out to the fields. He told the following, he said, all the Hasidim had come to Lubavitch for Lag Be'ema, and they arrived here at the grounds of a Hasid called Reb Shleimer. He had been organizing Lag Be'ema's celebration since the times of the Mittler Rebbe, Tzemach Tzedek's father-in-law. It was a joyous time for us, he says. The elderly Hasidim, even as old as they were, they danced with their tzitzah showing. And we, the young students, pranced like rams. We then sat down to Fabrain, open mouth, listening attentively to every word said by the elder Chassidim. At four o'clock in the afternoon, the Rebbe arrived. The Rebbe said, Am I Chassidus? And the Rebbe stayed for three hours. Before the Rebbe left, Tzemach Tzedek this is, he told us to sing the Alter Rebbe's Nigm, the Arab above us. As we sang, he sat in very deep rapture. His eyes closed and tears on his face. When the Nigm came to an end, the Rebbe stood up and declared, the schus of the Balidullah, the Rajbi, would assuredly protect all Jews, all Yidden. We all spontaneously cried out, Omein, unison. The Rebbe smiled slightly and said, Omein, Kein, Hiratzin, so it should be the will of God. After he left, The older Chassidim, led by Reb Hillel, gathered to Chazir over the Maimah. They wondered why the Rebbe had asked to sing the Alter Rebbe's name. It was concerned. And more so, the parting words that the Rebbe said. 
On the following Monday, an urgent messenger came to Lubavitch with a letter from the printers in Zhitoma. The police made an inspection regarding the recent printing of the Kutateira. They had checked where copies had been sent, sealed all the remaining copies in the press, and ordered the owner of the Chosid to appear for interrogation on Wednesday. The rumor spread quickly in the Babich. In a short time, the story's details, of course, grew hands and feet. The Rebbe's sons hurried to their father, who told them the exact story and assured them that the decree will be nullified. On Wednesday, when the printer reported to the police station, he was threatened and arrested. On Thursday evening, he was set free. And on Friday, all the Svarim were released. Telling us that the Tzemech Tzedek knew exactly what was about to happen, and therefore sang the Al-Terebbe's, had the Al-Terebbe's living sound, the Al-Terebbe, who was the author of the Kututera, and thereby nullifying this decree before anyone even knew that it existed. Perik Revi, Pirke Oves this week. The Mishnah is continuing to what it said in the Mishnah prior, Biakiv Eimer. Biakiv said, Ha'elam Hazeh Deimel the Perazdar. This world is comparison to an anteroom, to a corridor. For the world to come. Prepare yourself in this corridor so that you may enter, enter into the banquet hall. Friedrich never said, we have prepared. We have polished the buttons. She puts the kneplach. And we polish the buttons so much that they're falling off. We are so ready to enter into this place. But then he continues in the 17th mission of the 4th Perik. Hu he would say, achas mikol one hour repentance and good deeds in this world is better than all the life of the world to come. And one hour of bliss in the world to come is better than all the life in this world. One hour of bliss. The connection to God's essence, which we of course do through mitzvahs, as the word mitzvah is tafsavachibur, says the Zohar, connecting. We don't see it though. It's not openly revealed in this world. I do a mitzvah. 
do I see what I accomplished by doing this mitzvah? No. In the world to come, to come by contrast, in Elam Haba, we will learn to, con- to consciously appreciate the bond we share with God. And therefore, we see, as this context says, it's only in the world to come that the pleasure is highlighted, experienced by men. Sages commented, It is pleasing before me that I decreed and my will was done. This is a problematic discussion, expression. The world to come, the final stage of existence, should be completely satisfying, not only to man, but also to God. But nevertheless, it's only a limited perspective. The time of Mashiach, the time of Trias HaMesim, as the Altarebbe writes, this will be the ultimate perfection, the Altarebbe writes in Tanya, of the creation of this world. And the entire reason, the entire intent, why we were brought into being, into existence. In that era, says the Altarebbe, it will be openly revealed that our world is God's dwelling place. And that's where his essence is in manifest. Truth to be told, all of the entities in the physical, spiritual realms, concepts of revelation or hiddenness, don't apply with God to God's essence even when His presence is not revealed. We don't see God's presence. He's there. However, God created the world in such a way that it seems like nature. So therefore, where we don't sometimes see the divine providence in something and we think it's a natural phenomenon, we tend to lack the vision and the feeling of God's essence. He's concealed. But nevertheless, just as God's essence can remain concealed, it can be revealed. Although the ordinary channels of revelation are not mediums for His expression, It's not compelled to remain hidden. And therefore, when it comes to expression, it remakes, it redefines these channels of revelation. A revelation of this sort is what characterizes the world to come. And therefore, the world to come reflects a positive advantage for God Himself, as it were, Because in this era, God's true essence will be revealed. And this is the era of Mashiach, 
and this is the era of Geula, which is the message, of course, of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, where he strives throughout his life to become one with God, to connect, and to be Achida Bey. And the Achida Bey only transpired on this day of his Hilula, of his passing. Hilula itself means celebration. So where does passing come to celebration? And this is what's answered in this Mishnah. That only when one passes and one comes to Elam Haba does one come closer to that next stage, that next step, which is the coming of Mashiach, which is the survival, the revival of the dead, and then Viro Kolbosar Yachtov. Everyone will see Ki Hashem Hu that the Almighty is God and godliness prevails and reveals itself amongst us and we will also see the essence that we have caused by our mitzvah that we felt what might have been so trivial and so nothing sitting by a shir on a Wednesday night for that one hour of sitting through a shir dozing off a little bit from the rabbi's boring monotone but knowing that I have kviz itim la I have a time set that I sit and study Tera once a week or more than that, Baruch Hashem, or I'm learning Seita on a daily basis throughout throughout Svira, or if I go to a Dafyemi Shir, or if I go to a Tanya Shir, or if I go to whatever Shir it might be, but I see to it that I devote special moments to God in preparation for that ultimate revelation. We should merit this very night in the Schus of Manhaitan and Abishim Bar Yechai, we should all find ourselves near Shalayim, Yerakadish, and of course, then this Shabbos will be Yem Shekule Shabbos and Menucha, the Chayyelomim. Shabbat Shalom to all.